Welcome to Unframed, a podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pockroy. Today's episode is another recording from Turbine Art Fair. Recently in July 2019 was at the Turbine Art Fair and I recorded some of the talks as part of the talks program. Yeah, I think it's really important to take talks that are happening within institutions that are not freely accessible and to put them online um, onto this podcast, which is free and available to anyone with an internet connection. This year's talks program was curated by Kefilwe Sewisa and Nomboyu Horwitz, and I think it was a really successful curation of a, a talks program. It, there was a lot of really interesting conversations um, from a broad range of voices in the industry. This panel discussion is entitled, There Are No Lines Here, Queering Visibility and Representation. This panel discussion was with artists Jody Brand and Evan Ferreira and the musician Umlilo. It was moderated by Kevil Harris, the director of the Gay and Lesbian Archive, or GALA. The panelists in this discussion are all practicing artists whose work deal with the fraughtness of identification and self-representation. Using mythological fantasies, the virtual and the speculative, these artists are shaping aesthetic forms and narratives that challenge binary identity politics. Enjoy listening to this interesting conversation about queer identity and representation. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the final talk for today's public program. Uh, highly anticipated. Uh, there are no lines here. We are queering visibility and representation. And so I will hand over to Kevil Harris, um, our moderator, and enjoy, everybody. Thank you very much, everyone, for making the time to be here. Uh, my name is Kevil Harry, and I'm the director of the Gala Archives based in Bramfontein, Johannesburg at the Witz Advert University. Um, and I'm quite uh, excited and honored to be uh, facilitating and chairing this uh, panel. Um, just a few things. Uh, I thought we'd kind of really start off, uh, particularly we're talking about queer identities, uh, to take a moment to appreciate where we are. Uh, um, and in that regard, I think it's important for us to celebrate the victory in Botswana, where our famine in Botswana are now no longer deemed criminals, but to also um, acknowledge that the, the fight is far from over and kind of um, share some solidarity with our famine in Kenya, who have had a massive setback. Um, and I think it's important for us to acknowledge uh, in these spaces or in every space uh, where we're at, um, given that, you know, for a lot of people, particularly on this continent, uh, life still isn't safe. Um, and that's important to, to acknowledge. So thank you very much uh, for being here. Um, I also wanted to uh, say right at the outset <laughs> that I'm not an artist, uh, I'm not a curator. And so initially I was quite nervous in terms of chairing this um, panel. Um, but I think, and I'm hoping that what we can do in terms of our discussion uh, is to kind of speak about the appreciation of art, which I think, and the power of art, particularly um, in your own practices. Um, I'm going to allow the panelists to introduce themselves and say a little bit about themselves, and then we can kind of have a bit of a discussion. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Ivan. Ferreira. Um, I'm from Makanda, Grahamstown in the Eastern Cape. I'm currently doing my master's degree first year, um, focusing on digital arts um, 
with a heavy focus on queer representation in the media and more specifically social media. Um, yeah, I think that's all. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Jody Brand. I'm an artist and photographer. I um, take photographs and um, bold them into large-scale installations, really focusing on not just identity politics, but how uh, people engage with spaces. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Umlilo. I'm a musician and journalist. My work is very focused around um, blurring the lines between genre and gender and a lot of body politics as well. Thanks so much. So uh, when I initially looked at the title, which I'm, I mean, the title of this panel, which I'm just going to read out, uh, the panelists in this discussion are all practicing artists whose work deals with the fraughtness of identification and self-representation. And I thought, fuck, that's a lot. <laughs> Um, and so I thought basically what I wanted to do was start off with what I think is a, is a very basic question, but I think it's important, um, is when we deal with this term queer, which I think is very loaded in, in our context, what does that mean for you? Um, either personally or in your art practice, what does that mean? What does queer mean? Um, I mean, I, I think for me, and I'd always said this even before I had started like making art was that growing up um, in South Africa and growing up um, in Johannesburg specifically um, as a kid and as a student, I didn't really have the language to express like who I was. So what was in front of me was what we saw in, in on TV and on magazines and, and that, and that type of identity. So like by high school, I identified as a gay person because I could see the world had other gay people, but never really had an opportunity to delve deep into what that means um, as an identity until later on when I sort of became more of a university student and started really kind of unpacking my own identity and the fact that it didn't really fit into a lot of the boxes, even within the larger sort of queer community. And I think I was drawn to um, the identity politics that surround a queer identity because um, yes, there is a sort of otherness, but there was a sense of like community that was a lot more wide um, and that also allowed so many different manifestations of identity to exist within one umbrella. Whereas I found um, with gay or lesbian or trans identity, there was something that was very separating about being a part of those identities. Yeah, I have to agree with Sia. Um, for me, it's really about... Um, subversive practices and um, having the space to be able to do that freely. I mean, that idea is, to be honest, doesn't really actually physically exist, but um, the space that we can, you know, um, believe in it, at least for, at least in those spaces, um, I think is important, you know, just in terms of survival. Um, yeah, I think you took the words out of my mouth, both of you guys. Um, similarly, with me, when I was in high school, um, the word gay was like an easier term to identify with, just because there is so much about homosexuality and the word gay in the media. Um, most of the time it was kind of negative. 
Um, but now that I've, as you said, gone into university, um, learning to understand what the word queer means, a more overarching term, I think it's easier or more relevant to identify as queer just because it doesn't it doesn't hold you to a certain idea or doesn't expect you to be a specific way. And I think that's a much more overarching term than the than like gay or bisexual or trans or whatever. Yeah. Um, I my mom was reading a, a catalogue that I was for a show that I was in and it's, I had the word queer and she was like, <gasps> like, like they used a bad word. And I was like, it's OK now, mom, like, it's fine. It's not a dirty word. <laughs> um, but it, I find it really interesting, like mm. how it's been appropriated mm. now. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to pick up, Jodi, on, on the question of subversiveness, uh, particularly within the African context. And I use African uh, intentionally. Um, I was looking upstairs at, um, and there was, they were speaking about artists uh, who have made an impact. And the, the term was they, they made an impact in South Africa and Africa. And I was like, I think we should all acknowledge that South Africa is a part of Africa. Um, and therefore, when we speak about queerness, we need to be speaking about it in the identity of pan-Africanism. Um, and in that regard, you know, a lot of the work that the, that the Gala Archive does is in speaking against this narrative of homosexuality being un-African. It's what states uh, leaders often say. It's what church leaders often say. And for us, it's about uncovering uh, the stories and the histories that in a way reclaim this identity of what queerness is. Um, in that regard, uh, and Jody, I wanted to particularly ask you about this, is that Carla recently launched a, an exhibition called the Kupi Exhibition, which is currently on. Kupi was a hairdresser who lived in the District 6 community. And what is fascinating about this particular community of sisters, and they, the, the term queer wasn't necessarily accessible then. So I think that's also very interesting. But this idea of, of a group of individuals within this community who carved out an existence for themselves and were very clear on using photography as a way of ensuring that this existence was recorded and that was visible, which I think as queer people, we often struggle for this idea of like, how, how do we make ourselves more visible in a community? One, uh, which I think is a great, a great risk to ourselves, which I think was still the case for QP and and her sisters. In fact, they could have been arrested, you know, publicly. Um, but but yet, the, the this form of resistance was so clear for them that they insisted on 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 showing uh, portraying themselves through these elaborate balls and uh, you, you know kind of uh, events that they would host within this community. Do you find that that impacts on your on your practice or this idea of Absolutely. looking back at this history? I mean, when I started taking photographs. Uh, and I guess we all have the similar experience of being a young person and wanting to kind of see yourself in the world. And when I started taking photographs, what was most important for me was trying to create something that I felt as a young person I really needed to see in the world. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's really my position as a photographer is really just to document and to see people, you know, because people who are erased every single day, they need to be seen and validated and affirmed. And yeah, I find photography really helps. I mean, that for me is my practice is to affirm people um, by taking their photographs. And so initially, I mean, when I started taking photographs, 
I, I used the, the internet as my archive for recording that. And that for me, it was important that, you know, anyone who has access to the internet will be able to see these images. Because mm -hmm. if we have to speak about art spaces in this country, they're not really accessible to most people. Even if it's for free, people don't even know that they're allowed to go inside, you know? So, yeah, I... Yes, that was very important for me to to document my story and the people around me. Um, Sia, I know in, in, in many ways your your practice also is very much about subverting and, 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 and showing a visibility. Um, why, why was that particularly important in terms of, 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 of your, your art practice and your music? Why this idea of ensuring that it is distinctly queer? I think, you know, for the same reasons that um, Jody was talking about, I grew up, yes, we had people like Yosomizis or whatever on TV, but, um, you know, even within the particular queer community, I still felt like there was something different about me within that community. And then maybe there was something that was a disconnect. Yeah. And I think the beauty of making art and like making music particularly was that I could now see myself as an other entity outside of myself. And so I could create that entity in any way that I wanted to create it. And part of that was like, yes, we've seen different manifestations of queer identity in culture, in pop music and throughout history, but I had never seen it in this particular context, like my context that like reflects my environment, but that's also very dreamlike and aspirational, you know, and that was kind of a big thing for me. My music and my art became a projection of where I wanted to see myself and almost like trying to bridge this gap between where I was and where I want to be and where I want to see other queer identities live. Because there's always been a fascination that I've found within the queer community of being able to dream and to be able to almost live beyond your means, you know, so you could be in a community where, you know, I grew up in Davidson in the East Rand and like, you know, walking down the streets as a very flamboyant kid was not easy at all. But a part of me kind of created this other dream world where I could dress up and I could be whoever I wanted to be. So I think when I started making art, that subconsciously became a, a sort of other method within the making of kind of a self-actualization or self-realization but also thinking of like my younger self and being like, you know, um, if there was a little boy or a little girl who's like nine and like wants to see something else and wants to see themselves in, 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 in culture, what would that be like? And what would inspire them? And what would make them go, I want to be fearless and I want to do, you know, I also want to like actualize, you know, in a way. Uh, I think it's really interesting how uh, in South African culture we um, engage with these, like you mentioned, these gay personalities, like someone like Somizi or Nathaniel. Um, like they occupy this like very um, narrow space. And so that's basically if you want to express yourself, the expectations of you to show up in this one way. And so, yeah, I think it's really interesting that there are alternative queer spaces where we can explore, like you said, different manifestations of this. Um, I, I think that's that's really interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, and this is where I want to bring you in, Evan, in that there are those 
uh, artists and performers and writers who are challenging this uh, traditional notion of what is kind of, uh, and I would say more gay, cisgendered kind of appearances, particularly within the public spaces. And we know why that exists, because generally, you know, it's, it's these kind of privileged spaces and who has the biggest voice, who has the, the kind of uh, ability to kind of be safe within those spaces. Um, and so in your own art practice, uh, Ivan, who who did you d draw inspiration from? Or, or were, were there anyone that you could kind of look to, uh, particularly uh, as someone who's quite young in terms of, you know, your own practice and and and, and where did you draw, or where do you draw inspiration from? Okay, um, as a young person, uh, I think I, what what I got it like a trigger word from Jody there, the internet. Um, I kind of live on the internet, <laughs> so this is very nerve wracking for me. But um, my work kind of only exists in the internet space. I don't really produce work that can be printed out and sold, right? Um, which as an artist is quite tricky, um, but my inspiration comes from things like Instagram and YouTube. Um, and in my honors, I investigated this idea of how the internet and social media is a meeting point for many queer youth in South Africa. Um, so when you mentioned the internet, I was like, that's like, that's like one of the first places where we, as South African queer youth, and I think African queer youth in general, um, find identities that link to ours even if we don't understand it yet um so my practice started with making youtube videos um and i was inspired by someone by the name of lelo macheke i don't know if you guys know him also known as the suburban zulu um and their work really inspired me to start this channel that investigated um various things within the queer community um especially as someone who comes from a space where being flamboyant is not accepted. Um, in Makanda, uh, the the spaces that I grew up in were very cisgendered and very masculine. Um, I went to a boys' school, so it was very like, oh, we have to play rugby now. Um, and if you want to go to the art department, oh my God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, but yeah, the, my inspiration mainly exists uh, from the internet and so forth, yeah. Well, Speaking of social media, and I think all of you have uh, integrated this into your practice in, in some ways, and I agree with you. I think social media, despite its kind of dangers, has really afforded young black queer people with the opportunity of being visible in a way that just wasn't possible before. Although I often say that, uh, uh, you know, drawing inspiration, Cupid was the original Instagram queen <laughs> because they knew the value of 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 imagery, you know, of queer imagery, well before, you know, this was even, even a thing. But um, I want to ask whether, particularly in terms of social media, how do we use this as a kind of tool of um, accessibility to provide it, um, or, or at least to create a platform for people who, who, who don't necessarily have access to that? Um, because, you know, I think on some level it could be quite ex exclusionary. Um, and also how do we, because often I think in your art practices as queer people, it, there's, you know, we don't, the art kind of exists in some kind of context. And often given the violence that queer people continue to face, you could be putting yourself at risk, uh, in, in various spaces. Um, 
and often uh, I'll give you the example where we often find that people are outed on social media when they don't intend to be or you know there's this question of consent so how do you navigate that in your own kind of practice Alter egos? No, I mean, I mean, I've been very fascinated with the idea of an alter ego, and I think it has helped a lot of people in the queer community to have these different manifestations of themselves. And you'd often find sometimes in a community that's not necessarily very hugely homophobic or whatever, when somebody presents as a, a drag queen um, and the artistry around the art of drag, um, other than, you know, just a, a person who likes to dress kind of flamboyantly. Sometimes there's this weird switch in that community where it's like, oh, this is an art practice. You are performing or you are performing the art of gender or whatever the case may be. So in a social media space, I find it fascinating that, yes, you've got all these limitations, what kind of phone you have, how many followers you have. But it's interesting seeing a lot of young people in their own communities or just at home kind of curating these experiences themselves that may be quite different from when you actually meet them in person. And that also ends up kind of being a protection level of like, this exists on the internet, but when you see me, I'm a real person, I can't harm you. And you're like, all of, the, you know, all of these things that kind of um, make the alarm bells switch in a lot of people. But it's also sad to see that, you know, in a lot of countries in Africa, social media is used as another kind of tool that is, you know, um, perpetrating this idea of abuse and violence on, on queer bodies. Um, and that people who are even visible on social media, like that kind of hurts their identity as well. So it's kind of like a very tricky one in terms of like, there's this thing that can connect you to other people. But at the same time, like... If I've got friends in Kenya and here in South Africa, yes, we can start a petition to try and help somebody, but it's so that there's so many limitations even with social media. So a lot of work still needs to be done on the ground so that like people don't have to have to go through all of that. Um, as a photographer, this is something that's very complicated for me. And um, I don't have an answer to how to protect people. I think I agree with, with um, Sia that there is a lot of, you know, real work that needs to be done to be able to, I mean, I work with a lot of uh, trans homeless women and um, with photography, it's a really problematic medium because you're, especially with portraiture, you're using someone's likeness to make, to create an image. And there are a lot of marginalized people being exploited by photographers. Um, and there's really and no way to get around that other than to actually invest in those communities, you know, in tangible ways. Um, but to protect them, it's impossible. Um, like with these women, there are many photographers who want to take their photographs. Um, and because of their position, I mean, they will do it for a little bit of money sometimes not even any money, just for a moment to feel special. And um, afterwards, you know, have the, the threat of them being outed as sex workers is, is very, um, is dangerous for them. Um, but because they're in this position, they often get exploited. Um, in my practice, I haven't really worked with 
many other people just because uh, it's like only my third year into being an artist. Um, I don't really identify as an artist even. Um, but I, I agree with what Jody has said in terms of it's really difficult to project people, even yourself, on social media because you don't know who has access to seeing you. Even if you lock your Instagram account, they can still see parts of your life, you know. Um, and I think that's also why we, as those people who use Instagram and Facebook and those things, curate the what other people see because there's parts of ourselves we obviously don't want to share. Um, that being said, I do think that um, it's also about being authentic in your own practice. Um, if you are photograph, if if you are photographing trans women, like Jody said, um, investing in those communities, I think makes a big difference because you're building a relationship with those people, whereas other people would literally just go in and take the photo for their own benefit. And yeah, I think that's a very big part of it. Um, it is horrifying to, particularly when even even when we're engaging in the archive, is the level of num the number of artists who come into the space saying, oh, I want to take, I want pictures of trans people. You know, <laughs> it happens more often than, uh, than we know. And it's, 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 it's quite worrying. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think immersing yourselves within this community. And, and then going back to this question, and we often face this at, at the archive where, you know, often people say, but why do you need to uh, reclaim or restore or preserve queer history? And it's like, well, because straight history is everywhere, you know? Um, and I suppose it's the same, uh, this is a question that I want to pose to you, is that the burden of being a queer artist in that you have to kind of face these questions almost on a daily basis in your own practice. Often we had, a lot of artists don't have to, or you don't even, you know, that doesn't even cross their mind. It's just about the art practice. Whereas I think for, for, for queer performers, queer artists, queer writers, because it's so much a part of your own existence, there is this kind of burden. How do you, how do you manage that and how do you cope with that? I mean, are there things that sometimes where it gets, it gets too much? It really frustrates me with the internet how uh, identity politics is used as clickbait. Mm. Um, and so mm. it's just like, oh, look at this new, like, groundbreaking, like, smashing the gender, like, binary, like, and it's just like a boy in a crop top. So <laughs> um, it is really frustrating. Like, I, I don't want to talk about those things all the time. Like, yeah. There are so many other complexities to our experiences and to the work that we make um, that is really powerful. And um, yeah, I think when engaged in it, I think we should try and speak more about those things. Um, with the work that I'm making now, I'm really looking at um, my relationship with my mother and so I'm working that with that also with the people that I work with and this mother-daughter relationship that's universal, like whether you identify like as like a non-binary or as a femme-identified person or we all have these, you know, relationships and issues with our mothers. Um, and so, yeah, we're also just people. Um, oh no, I've gone blank. <laughs> um, okay, wait, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Get back to it. 
I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of like, and I've had those headlines, smashing gender, what, what. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of, it's always a little bit frustrating because, you know, I sort of presented myself as this kind of big character that, you know, wears the makeup and the clothes and all of that. And I find that, you know, my music is actually very counter to that. Um, the things that I talk about are very like the personal and, you know, the politics of the bodies, social politics. But that identity of like, you know, this fascination that people have with like the aesthetic of queer people was my way in into a kind of other world, being curious about the kind of work that I do. And then when once they had caught their attention with the sort of big look and the flamboyancy, then I would sort of hit them with lyrics that are actually talking about more complex sort of situations around a queer identity. And I, I found that, you know, it's been years now that I've been doing this kind of practice and there's still this fascination, there's still this curiosity. And I often never want to completely see the world as like, people are bad, they just want to exploit us, they just want to use us because I've met a lot of people who are just curious, who just don't know and like want to be educated and want to know a little bit more about the complexities of our identities, but purely from a, a very like wanting to understand kind of way. And I feel like I often have to balance this like, no, I don't want to talk about being queer anymore, you know, cut with like this idea that it's probably something I'm going to have to talk about till the day I die, because until the world is kind of very much aware of like all these different identities that exist, that's also part of my life's work is to actually make it a, a focal point and be like, actually, we are going to talk about this all the time, whether it comes from a place of fascination or whether it comes from some other different place of understanding. Even within that, like when you're occupying the margins, like you have to be fucking exceptional and like stunning and like skinny and like to be really recognized, you know. And so, yeah, it's it's still limited, even though everyone's talking about it. Um, what I wanted to say was that I think there's more to being queer than the way you present. I think there's so much that happens inside your head on a daily basis, like waking up in the morning and deciding if you want to be, if you want to dress from dress from loyalty today, or if you feel like presenting femininely or masculinely. Um, and I think that comes back to that idea of what queer means, because as soon as I say I'm a femme gay guy, um, it puts me in a box. And the reason we move, we the reason we we had those labels seems to kind of just not be a reason anymore because now we've even within those labels boxed ourselves in um but i think that often the people who are, are are selling us as queer artists forget that there's so much more to us than just how we look um because when you go to your room after making your artwork you're by yourself and you're thinking about all these things that go through i mean mental health is a very big issue in queer communities especially for young black kids um, black youth who do not have access to uh, to psychologists or do not have access to the internet to see that it's okay to be queer and so forth. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely, and thank you for 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 raising raising that. Um, I wanted to open it up to the floor if there are any questions. We we do have um, quite a bit of time, so I thought maybe we can take a round of questions and then um, you can direct them at either anyone on the panel or, you know, just generally. 
not all at once. <laughs> Um, I just want to find out from the artist whether uh, in your practice you feel that you are pressurized to sort of create work that talks to your identity or you can just create work like any other person, you know, depending on the burning issues of the day, besides the identity, work that is created around your identity. Is there that pressure that, okay, because you're queer, wh why, why don't you talk about this? Why don't you uh, create lyrics that, that talk about identity issues? Why don't you take pictures of queer people, uh, why don't you paint pictures of uh, uh, queer people, whatever it is, or issues to do with queer people. Is there that pressure? Um, definitely, yes. Um, st uh, still existing in the university system, a lot of the times when you go to a crit um, for, to have your work like checked by the lecturers, um, there's this question of if I were to create something that had nothing to do with my queerness, they'd ask me why I haven't linked this to my queerness. And I think that's often the case for queer black kids, especially. Um, even if you're not queer as a black person, you are expected to create work that links to your blackness. I'll never forget the one day um, one of our lecturers told one of uh, my classmates, um, this work is not black enough. And we were all like, oh my God, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> But I definitely think there is like a massive pressure and this, that for me that often results in me becoming far more flamboyant in my presentation um, just to prove to them that like often you have to prove your queerness and it's so annoying because like you can be queer and, and look extremely heterosexual, whatever that means. But um, yeah, there's definitely like a massive pressure. Uh, it's something that I've had to come to terms with um, working in um, white institutions is how my work is consumed. It's really disgusting. And I have to constantly remind myself that I'm not making work for the people who are often seeing it. Um, I'm making it for my community. But um, I, I'm aware that it is happening, that people are othering the people in my pictures, that they're seen as exotic and it makes it, uh, and that's how it's being consumed. And I don't have a lot of power over that. I mean, as artists, there's only so much that we can actually do, um, but I do what I can, you know, to create awareness. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of people and I mean, this is the history of how um, people have been uh, consuming images of black bodies for, you know, through the media for centuries. Um, so it's a difficult thing to kind of break down. But yeah, we're just taking it step by step and um, so grateful for the work that other artists have done before us that hopefully we can continue making progress and to work towards transformation. But it's still a long way to go. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you in that sense, in terms of like, you've got this big white world and then you've got your community that's sort of more insular and then you've got yourself. And like in my work, I've always I mean, I've collaborated quite a lot within my community, but the beginning of the work would always start with me. So with a song, it would always start from what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And that's been quite difficult to negotiate because 
even now I'm working on like my first sort of full body of work, which is like a full length album. And to think about the subject matter of myself, my community, my family, my country, it's a lot of pressure. And what I ended up doing through this process was actually try and shut down a lot of those kind of thoughts and feelings that surrounded me and made my make the process of making so much more harder because you kind of can't sit there and be like, I'm just going to speak from the heart. And so once I actually started canceling out all of those pressures of like, oh, but this is what these were the reviews for your last body of work. And, you know, I kind of now was in a space of like, I think I want to make something that I want to make and whether it's got anything to do with my queer identity or my community or my country, I don't care about that anymore. And hopefully because I've made something that is so authentic and real for me, when people consume it, that sort of message will come through. And I'm sort of in this plane of trying to transcend a lot of the things that I had when I started, put myself in all these boxes and I'm trying to free myself from all these boxes, especially in something like music where music itself is very universal and you can actually transcend beyond, you know, language, beyond um, your country, beyond borders and all, and all sorts of things like that. And like, it all comes with the core, like what subject matter are you dealing with yourself personally that other people can relate to that sometimes probably has nothing to do with your, you know, greater sort of queer identity. Um, so I'd be interested in a view on, there was recently the Taylor Swift's uh, video where you need to calm down, where she obviously got a lot of queer icons involved in that music video, but she herself isn't. And she's a white, cis, het, straight female. Um, obviously, it was in Pride Month. It was supposedly raising awareness. But I think to a lot of people felt like it was just capitalizing on something that's become really popular. Um, and so there's a lot, obviously, a lot of things involved in that. But I just thought it'd be interesting to hear your views on people that are not part of a community raising visibility, but also probably getting self gain from that. And yeah, your views on where, where, like whether that's good or bad. I mean, I would, I would even say like the whole pride month debate is, is quite a difficult one because I know a lot of us like work within, you know, sort of on the ground communities of people that actually exist and like need help. And then during Pride Month, you've kind of got this like rainbow everywhere. Everybody's sort of celebrating. All the celebrities are talking about it. But what I wonder, even with something like a Taylor Swift, like in music, you can easily go, the proceeds of the song will go to a community that needs it and that actually needs like on the ground advocacy to be able to have a better kind of life. And I don't see a lot of that happening with companies and like with um, a lot of artists as well who not necessarily are in the community, there's this kind of great like posturing of like, oh, you know, I'm all about the queers. I, I love this. But you hardly see anybody go, actually, like, let me put my resources towards like actually doing what I say I want to do, you know, and not to say like celebrities like Taylor Swift and all of them don't do a lot in the community. But I feel like a lot is like within this like aesthetic level, but on the real, real, you hardly ever see anybody actually go to communities where people have been kind of marred by the violence and, 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 and need resources to be able to, to actually live an impactful life. So I feel like even with 
big brands, there's definitely a disconnect. You know, they'll sell you T-shirts with a rainbow and even the proceeds of that T-shirt are going straight to their pockets. And you're kind of like, um, I don't get it. And I've been in a space as well where I've dealt with other artists who wanted to exploit what I do and what like my friends do. Um, and in a European context as well, you know, I had an incident when two years ago um, with an artist who was based in Sweden who came to South Africa and I've been seeing them now. So they came to South Africa and they had this kind of idea of like being part of like South African pride and like all of this. And then we realized that the proceeds of this like kind of album that we were part of with like other African artists and artists in Jamaica was going straight to this person's pocket who already comes from a very, very wealthy family in Europe, you know? So like there's a lot of issues there. And that's when I kind of realized that I needed to backtrack as an artist as well in the type of things that I get involved in because I still see the same person now going to, um, the latest was going to India and being like, oh, I'm gonna now exploit this like um, India narrative because it works for me. So it is a very problematic and a very huge like personal issue for me in terms of like making art and the idea of like um, the community also being able to gain something from that. Um, what's important to me, um, like in the work that I do, you know, on the flip side, yeah, it's really whack how people use proximity to queerness you know, as a marketability. But on the other side, if you're getting your bag, that's great. And like, for me, <laughs> what's like really important in the work that I do is really looking uh, particularly how women, uh, queer femmes, really access this crevices of power to, you know, um, negotiate um, space and to really come up in the world. And if people are getting paid, that's great. People are getting exploited, that's whack. And so, yeah, that's my two cents on it. Um, <clears throat> when I watched the video, I was a bit confused because I was like, what does Taylor Swift have to do with being queer? And I know she often likes to hook onto things. Um, but what was interesting for me was seeing all the other queer bodies in the video. And so I often ask myself when I see stuff like that, what are they getting out of this? So much like what Jody said, it's interesting because they're getting paid and they and we are getting representation. Um, but at the same time, like what is the downside of that, you know? Um, the other thing I also think that sometimes I think that Pride Month is a very Western concept just because if we look at Pride Month in South Africa, it doesn't really exist to the extent that it exists in the West. Um, and I think it's a very like, it's kind of like a bougie thing. If you think about it, if you're like an out queer guy or girl person, um, and you want to like go and sit on a float and then like wear a crop top and stuff, <laughs> um, like it's a great time, but like at the same time, there are people who can't even leave their house looking how they want to present or tell their parents that they are queer but there's these people having the greatest time of their lives in America, like, oh my God, Pride Month, and then going to Starbucks and whatnot. Um, so I think like Pride Month often just becomes a whole thing about, it's just capitalism having its way with the queer people. And that for me is very worrying because I, I think I read some time ago that the Pride Month in Johannesburg has been separated. So it's like the white pride and then the black pride. And that is very concerning because 
I think in South Africa, we still have a massive issue with racism within the queer community. Um, I mean, if you go into Grindr, you'll see people like, oh my God, no fats, no femmes, no blacks, no Asians. And you're like, okay, but then who? You know, it's like your your buff white dude or your, or your skinny twink guy. Um, so yeah. Um, I, I think, I think that I, uh, the one, there, there is a serious issue around the commodification of like queer identities, which has been used by corporates. It's been used by, uh, by kind of very famous artists. And I think it's quite dangerous within the South African context. And, I, and, and that's why for us, the messaging around QP is like, we don't need a Taylor Swift as an icon. We need to find our own queer icons who have actually done the hard work. When we speak about pride, um, it, it, it is sad that what's happened to Joburg Pride because initially it was very much a critical part of the political movement. There were individuals who were sacrificed a lot in order to ensure that pride was something that was inclusive and that was ultimately quite political, which we still need to today because um, there's such a huge kind of gap between what the law provides for within community and then what, what actually happens in communities. And the one instance that I wanted to share with you, uh, and I, I keep harping back around around QP, but as part of the QP exhibition in Cape Town, uh, we launched it over Heritage Day and um, we decided to do a walk of remembrance through Woodstock and kind of honor the sites of QP and her sisters within that space. And for me, it was one of the most remarkable experiences. So we had a community, um, and those of you who have engaged with the District 6 Museum will know that it's a community that is very involved, that takes, it has a deep sense of ownership over this, over this, the space, uh, given the kind of loss and hardship that a lot of them have faced. And to be interacting with this community in a way, um, which also included a lot of young people, and we did this walk through parts of District 6, honoring these various um, sites, and for me, it was the first time that I actually felt like I knew what pride was, was like, because this was a community that had no issue. There was no floats. There was no corporate branding. There was no, it was just a group of us walking through the streets. And I think if we get back to that, that's, that's very important and powerful. But currently, I think there's, I think there's a huge danger in, in how, um, you know, these, this idea of pride or, or, and, and spaces is, is so commodified. And if I think about even the, the biggest challenge for us is like, we know that exhibitions are privileged spaces, right? Even when we put on something like QP, how do we get people to attend that? Often that means huge amounts of cost in just getting people transport to get there. And, and I'll remember the Black Sisters who do said at the QP exhibition in, in Cape Town, this is a group of... Uh, uh, black trans workers that this is our story so if we are not in the space then 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 you then the whole thing is pointless and that's that's kind of stuck with me it's like we need to get people into our communities and that often means the hard and like basic issues around like how do we get people there it costs money you know which is a constant challenge for us yeah um something else also with the taylor swift video she's not relatable to queer people at all because she's just this white woman from America, you know? So for us South African queer people, like what is she offering us? Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is I went to a Zanele Maholi exhibit in Cape Town. And what was beautiful for me was that they brought the trans women to the exhibit with their families. And 
just that because it was an interesting space because the people who were looking at the work were mostly um, elderly white people. And it just brings back to what you said about people who are consuming the work. But what the trans women did was they took that space and decolonized it, if I can use that word, by, you know, singing and having the celebration of their um, identity in the space. And for me, that is so much more important as a pride, as, a, as, an, ex, as an exhibition of pride or a showing of pride than walking through the streets with like floats and then like um, every little brand has like a little queer flag on it or a pride flag. Um, so yeah, I think pride is so much more than going to the streets and walking. Like you said, it can be literally a gathering of queer friends at your house and just chatting and, 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 and as they say, kikiing <laughs> um, and existing in, in your own space. Um, I think uh, what you're saying about Sanelia's show is really interesting. What I find really inspirational about her is this like demand for all of this um, queer art, how we she can use that to kind of negotiate her own terms. Yeah. Or and this is what I want to set up for my community and and um and this is how it's changing the way that we relate to these spaces. So now it's possible for me to also go in and say, you know, you want my art, but how, what are we going to do for the community? Um, there's, we can do, I think we have, we can do last question, yeah. Thank you very much for your panel. I think it's been very extraordinary. Um, so my question was going to, and you've started talking about it, Zanelli Maholi and Stephen Cohen and the kind of work, the brave work they've, they've done in setting, um, I think, visual activism for uh, kind of queer presence in the visual art world. They, they really have um, sort of created a pathway for other young artists. And I wanted to just ask about their example and and i think the discussion you're talking about pride and activism and political organizing is very important i think and it's and it's also a burden that that artists are, are having to carry because it's hard to just be yourself and i think you've been talking about that quite eloquently because you are carrying a, a kind of political activism around awareness and the important messaging as well. Is there anything you want to kind of respond or add to that? Yeah, I don't think we have a choice about that, mm. you know? Um, it's really, it's non-negotiable. This is what has to happen. It's necessary and it's urgent. Um, and I think a lot of people they want to maybe like, oh, this image is beautiful, or maybe the circumstances is really powerful, moving for the sake of art. But the fact of the matter is this is life and people are dying, you know? And so we really don't have a choice whether we, we engage with that or not. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that um, sentiment. And I think it's a it shouldn't be so tough to negotiate, but I know for me individually and some of my artist friends, it is a huge burden to carry, especially if you already know that you've barely got resources to make the art happen. 
and then to carry the burden of the community at the same time can become so overwhelming for artists that some of the artists actually just drop out completely. And they're like, how can I, as an artist here in Joburg, who's just merely doing my own thing and can barely also get it right, able to carry this huge burden? You know, so I think it is important to look to Yozarelles and Stephen Cohen's for that kind of inspiration because, you know, they've kind of paved the way and been able to handle that kind of um, the, that kind of burden. And I can even see with even an artist like Zanelle, she feels it, you know, she feels this complete responsibility um, for the community. And a lot of the time it's to the detriment of the actual individual artist because you you end up putting yourself sort of back in the line to sort of um, push all of these other things. And then you also realize how sometimes how powerless you are, mm-hmm. you know? So, and that's why I feel like a sense of community is important in the sense that we need to take care of each other. Mm. Um, and part of my shift from maybe completely going the traditional way of like activism or activist um, kind of sentiment is actually to create a concrete community of support, not only for other artists, but in general to have the sense that like, if if I feel like I can't do it or I'm ready to give up, I know that I can call Jody and be like, okay, I need, I need support in this, you know, and like, Carry, paying it forward as well. So creating that same sentiment with a lot of younger artists that are coming up who kind of don't feel the same burden sometimes, you know? There's a lot of artists that I speak to who are young who are like, no, I'm just doing my own thing. I want to be an influencer, you know? And there's like no sense. And I'm like, oh, you're so lucky to have this like mentality because, you know, for a lot of people who grew up in a certain kind of time in South Africa, you cannot um, divorce your art with your sense of community and your activism. Yeah, I think what you're saying is really important. How do we make this practice sustainable for ourselves so that we're not burning out completely? Um, yeah. Just quickly also, um, while those people who have come before us have really helped also, I think it's also important, like um, Sia said, the community, um, but also to look at those people who are not existing in spaces where they can exist as queer people um, I had a discussion with someone the other day who said, why are we not looking for our queer CEOs, you know, of accounting firms or those people who are baristas in coffee shops or something? They're also queer. And they themselves, if you're linking up with those people, you're building a whole new community, you know. And I think it's important that we don't forget those people as well. Um, but also remember to be thankful to like your, um, your artists who have gone before and done amazing work. And on that note, I really wanted to thank you all for your generosity in sharing. Uh, it's been a real privilege for me to kind of hear these inputs and I, I know it will stick with me. I just wanted to kind of end off with 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 uh, something. Uh, this is Queer Africa, which is a, a gala publication. But talking about querying the lines, I thought this was perhaps an apt way uh, of kind of ending this. And I didn't want to just kind of leave it with a goodbye. Um, and this is from My Body Remembers a War Cry by Zuko Nkosi Azigalala. And I think it kind of speaks to this question of um, querying the lines. We're not old boys, we're black boys. We play different tunes with our tongues to crowds, to teachers, to friends, to taxi drivers, to pastors and parents, to ourselves. Yet the bangs of your desires have no song. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode and to the panelists and to Turbine Art Fair for allowing me to put this talk on Unframed.
Please support Unframed by following us on Instagram and Facebook and by commenting on the posts about this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Unframed on iTunes and to please leave a review. And looking forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Bye.